Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Adam Lowett. But it's weird when you're trying to take a girl's bra off and in the background you hear Steve Martin going like, excuse me. <laughs> that and more. But first, do you live in San Francisco? Risk is finally coming back. Come see Risk at San Francisco Sketchfest on February 4th. It's a hell of a cast. Shalewa Sharp, Yamanika Saunders, James Urbaniak, Daniel Van Kirk, and myself will all be there. And as always, you can find info about any Risk live show at risk-show.com slash tour. Or <laughs> do you live in Philly or near Philly? Pitch us a story for our March 2nd show. Now we have some optional story themes, surprise twists or mesmerizing or delicious. And everything you need to know about how to pitch us is at risk-show.com slash submissions. We'll be right back. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Eve's Tumor behind me now. And we're calling this week's episode Discord. So we're going to stick to songs like this one that play with discordance is what that word would be. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Adam Lowett, a story that he told when back when Risk was at the Bell House in Brooklyn in 2016. So this is coming out of the archives here. But before that, we're going to hear from Stephen Harder, 
We're always calling for anecdotes, for short stories to be pitched to us by you, the Risk listeners, and Stevens is one of those. It's a story called Kickin' Butt, and there's actually an alternate edit of it over on our Patreon, so be sure to check that out. But before that, we're going to hear from Melinda Hill. It's going back a little bit further even. This was recorded when Risk was at Nerd Melt in L.A. in 2014. Now, this story was also told by Melinda on her comedy special and album called Inappropriate, which is available on Amazon, Apple TV, and Spotify. So here is Melinda now with a story we call The Irish Goodbye. Um, Does anyone know what an Irish goodbye is? Oh, okay. So for the people who don't know, it's when you leave a party or bar without saying goodbye. It's the best way to leave a party. It's not a great way to leave a relationship. Um, It's also referred to as ghosting. So the first time this happened to me that I was ghosted. I was 21. Um, I had gone on a couple dates with a gentleman and he said, look, when I'm in town, you'll hear from me because I'm in town for work. And when I'm not in town, you won't hear from me because I live in the woods with no cell reception. (laughs) I was like, okay, got it. Um, And So I run into his friend, and his friend was like, hey, you guys should come to this party tonight. And I was like, well, we can't because he's in the woods. And he was like, what do you mean the woods? Is like camping or something? And I'm like, no, he's in the woods where he lives. He was like, dude, he doesn't live in the woods. He lives on Melrose. And that's when I realized, oh, he only lives in the woods to me. You know what I'm saying? So the second time I was Irish goodbye was rather recently whilst I was dating an actual Irishman. Thank you. And he was like really handsome and charming. He had an accent. And I thought it's so great that he can drink like four to six whiskeys a night and not be an alcoholic. Like he's just Irish. (laughs) What a wonderful superpower. (laughs) And just for the sake of anonymity and because he wore, you know, big blazers with big shoulder pads, we'll just refer to him as Paula Poundstone. Um, (laughs) So he would always say these like really romantic, you know, really sweet things. He'd be like, you're the love of my life. I am so sorry. I don't do accents. Um, he'd be like, if ever there is an issue, we need to get on the phone immediately and fix it. <laughs> so imagine my surprise when one day he like completely vaporized, vanished, gone. We had plans. I was like texting, calling. 
I left a crying message like, please just let me know you're okay. I don't know if you're like, this was like over the span of a few days. And I, I finally reached out to his friend via Facebook and I was like, can you please just check on him? He lives behind a gate and make sure he's not dead. Like, I don't know if he hit his head or like he's on a crack binge. I don't know enough about him. So the friend was like super casual, like, oh yeah, I used to get really mad too, but now I only worry when it's been a week. (laughs) I was like, okay, nonchalant guy, like maybe he's done this with like dudes or like girls he doesn't really care about. But we are in love. We are soulmates. So please check on him. And um, a week went by here, nothing, like no call, nothing. And then he likes a photo on my Facebook page. I'm like, oh my God, he is alive. Okay, that's a relief. And then I'm like, oh my God, he's only dead to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going around like, I can't sleep, I can't eat, I'm so concerned and confused, like I'm grieving a person's life, possibly the life of a relationship. And meanwhile, he's alive, like just in the next neighborhood over, Silver Lake, shopping at Trader Joe's, (laughs) watching the World Cup. (laughs) So then I sent this like email that had closure, but also left things open. My uh, songwriter friend, she's like really good with words. She like helped me craft this email that was like super cool. It was like, hey man, I get it if you can't do this thing, man. I'm on your team. I want whatever's best for you. Being a human is hard, man. Like one of those. And he actually responded. He was like, Darius Melinda, because he was British this time. And he's like, Darius Melinda, I've gone into a dark space, but it doesn't have anything to do with you. You are a treasure. I truly love you. You are a gorgeous person, XOXOXOXO. So then I'm like more confused than Evs. I'm like, wait, what? But what I took it to mean, like his email, like in a nice way, was just saying, like, it's not you. Like his Irish goodbye was saying, like, it's not you, it's me. Trying to get away from you without telling you. (laughs) (laughs) So my therapist was like, well, you need to reach out and you need to find out, you know, if you guys are still going out or not. And I was like starting to feel like she hadn't read, he's just not that into you. Which made me very afraid. But basically it was like a classic love story where like the couple is like totally in love but they can't be together because the man has to go off and fight a war, you know? Except in this scenario there was no war. There's just a guy drinking Jameson in Silver Lake and ignoring me. <laughs> but it was basically like the classic romantic comedy where like the guy almost loses the girl so he like runs through the city streets trying to catch her to save their relationship and he's knocking over hot dog stands except in this scenario the guy was doing nothing whatsoever to save the relationship and he was dressed like Paula Poundstone (laughs) so I've learned from this that sometimes reality 
is what's happening. Like reality <laughs> is what is actually happening. So I had to look at what was happening. His actions didn't match his words because he kept sending me the I love yous and the cryptic messages, but he was like physically not there. <laughs> so I sent this email that was like, you know, your actions don't match your words. Please don't contact me anymore. My heart needs time to heal. And basically, I just, I'm trying to have compassion because it's not always easy to leave a situation. You know, you don't always know what to say to leave. Um, and I think it's, it can be hard to speak the language of the heart. You know, sometimes when one person has a language barrier and no heart. <laughs> For me, like, I can't really obsess about things because I have an obsessive mind. I'm an addict. Thank you. And so I can't think about things that make me crazy and, like, that don't add up because I will spiral and I end up in a very dark place um, called deep dish pizza. And I'll paint the picture for you of the last time that happened. I went, I got a deep dish pizza, sat on my couch alone and was eating it. And uh, yes, it had several toppings. And by toppings, I mean sugar cookies, brownies, several bottles of wine. And I was like, you can't hurt me. And um, uh, I hate you, me. And um, it got ugly. I felt sick. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take the rest of this pizza. I'm going to throw it away. I'm going to do the sensible thing. I'm going to throw it away. Taking it to the trash. (laughs) And then when I get to the trash, I'm like, well, not so fast. Why don't I leave it on top of the bins rather than in the bins for someone less fortunate, perhaps to eat like a homeless person. Two hours later, bring it back in, finish the entire thing. (laughs) By myself, I realize I'm the person less fortunate in this situation. Can't go there. Have to Irish goodbye on the obsessive thinking. Have to disengage. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um... Hey, girl, you know you special. Want to jump through the phone, give you best so. I want to hold you tight, never let go. And when I'm leaving, you hear me with that text and you talking about the XO, XO, XO. That XO, XO, XO. Hit me with the XO, XO, XO. That XO, XO, XO. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess 
whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back. There's a story in an ancient play about birds called The Birds. And it's a short story from before the world began. From a time when there was no earth, no land. Only air and birds everywhere. But the thing was, there was no place to land. Because there was no land. So they just circled around and around. Because this was before the world began. And the sound was deafening. Songbirds were everywhere. Billions and billions and billions of birds. And one of these birds was a lark. And one day her father died. And this was a really big problem. Because what should they do with the body? And there was no place to put the body because there was no earth. And finally, the lark had a solution. She decided to bury her father in the back of her own head. And this was the beginning memory. Because before this, no one could remember a thing. They were just constantly flying in circles. Constantly flying in huge circles. 
I know most of us have our school bully stories, and I'm no exception. When I was 11 years old, my biggest school bully was in kindergarten. And I use the word biggest as ironically as possible. Davy was the younger brother of Adam. Adam was four years my senior. And he had been tormenting me for a number of years already. Even though we didn't go to the same school because he was too old, that didn't stop him from picking on me and just making me feel very insecure and unsafe. And both Adam and Davy were short in stature, so they kind of had that chip in their shoulder already built in. And it was when I was in grade six last year at elementary school uh, that Davy began attending kindergarten, and that was the year that Adam passed on the baton to his little brother. Now, what Davy lacked in stature he made up for in rat tail. Not too sure if you remember rat tails. It's when you have your hair cut short, except for like one lock at the back. And then that lock just kind of grows down the back of your neck. Or in the case of Davy, it actually ran down the back of his back. That was my bully in grade six. Five-year-old Davy with his fucking rat tail. Now, I was a school patrol, which was basically a school division's way of not paying for crossing guards. Basically, you find you know, responsible grade five and six students, and they help students cross intersections getting to and from school safely. So that was one of my responsibilities. It's a real mark of honor, a badge of pride. My post outside of the school was across the street from the path that Adam would take to junior high every day. And I was glad to be across the street from him because I didn't want to be put in a position where I'd be tormented by him any more than I had to be. So that means when five-year-old Davy started attending kindergarten, him and Adam would walk to my area there and then they would part ways. Davy would cross the street and come to my post and then I would, when it was safe, conduct him across the road. And I'll always remember that very first day of school, crossing Davy and feeling incredibly nervous knowing that Adam was just across the road and hearing Adam's voice ring out. Kick him in the butt! I had my back to Davy, so I don't know what expression registered across his face when he heard that, but he did. He, uh, he kicked me in the butt, and it was just so humiliating. But what am I going to do? Adam was right there. I couldn't do anything about it. That was my introduction to Davy. And at lunchtime, when he would leave school and go home, he took it upon himself to kick me in the butt again, you know, just for a good measure. And then the next day, on his way to school, of his own volition, he kicked me in the butt and this went on and on and on for months. My twice daily dose of humiliation from little Davy. And it was just one of those situations where I felt utterly powerless to do anything about it, except endure it. Now I live in Canada and in our 
part of the country, we actually get winter, not like BC or Toronto. We get like real winter with snow and stuff. Uh, and snow has a way of packing down, whether you're a patrol, you know, shifting back and forth, staying warm in winter, or if, you know, you're at an intersection that has cars driving back and forth. Snow just has a way of packing down. And little Davy being, you know, the stupid little shit he is, he hasn't taken any high school level physics courses. He doesn't understand things like momentum and inertia. All he understands is that in order for him to give me my daily dose of ass kicking, he needs to like swing his foot pretty high up in order to make contact with my butt. If he had just been kicking me in the shin or something like that, then maybe this wouldn't have happened. But he was kicking me in the butt. And so that day, that winter day in December, he swung his foot up in order to make contact with my ass. And that's when his other foot slipped out from under him and he crashed to the hard packed snow utterly humiliating himself. I remember him scrabbling across the street trying to regain whatever dignity he could, which was difficult because his brother Adam was across the street howling in laughter at him. And that was the last day that he ever kicked my butt. wish I knew how to put a bow on that story, right? It's so, it's sad, but there's no catharsis with the sadness, right? I didn't do anything to, to overcome the situation. I didn't triumph, except that I just endured, right? Like, the five-year-old got his comeuppance. Like, that's not something to celebrate. And the 15-year-old, he's untouched, unscathed, unaffected by any of this. There's just nothing satisfying about it other than this is a story about me being treated like shit by kids. The end. wanted to talk about love. Um, I feel bad for the word love. I mean, I'm Jewish, so I feel guilty about everything, but <laughs> I do, I feel like the word love must be so fucking confused all the time, because it's like, okay, hold on a second. I am the signifier that two people have found their true life partner, and I'm also the way people articulate their feelings about truffled french fries. No fucking way. That doesn't make any sense. 
I'm not trying to be all high and mighty. Like, I abuse that word, too. I love a lot of shit. I love my wife. I love comedy. I fucking love truffled french fries. But I was asked to choose a bunch of years ago. My girlfriend and I were living in the East Village together. We were having, let's just call it a discussion that evening. Uh, we'd just eaten dinner and washing dishes in the kitchen, and we're talking about our future together. And she says, like, you know, what does our future look like? And everything was sort of going very typically how it always had. Uh, she was like, well, what are our, what's our future look like? And I was like, yeah, what are we going to do on Wednesday? And... <laughs> I, I just did not want to have the conversation. It had nothing to do with her. And it really was just like my head was not in it. But I wasn't like afraid of commitment because I could commit to some things. Because 20 minutes before we were having the conversation about our future together, I was having a conversation about myself and about my career and comedy and everything I wanted to do. And I had no problem looking into that future and being like, yeah, in 20 years I want to do X, Y, and Z. And she just said, I feel like you love comedy more than you love me. Yeah. And I paused for way too long. Like, you're not allowed to pause at all, but I paused for fucking way too long. But it was also like a really, it was, there was part of me that was pausing because I was like, oh shit, but there was also part of me that was like, oh, that's a very astute observation. That's like when someone came and told me, they're like, oh, did you know that Bernie Sanders is an anagram for bare end rinses? I was like, oh, I didn't know that. That's really, I got to pause on that one for a while. And I realized this was not the first time that I'd been torn between a girl and comedy. When I was in college, I had a crush on this girl named Lucy. Lucy was this hot hipster girl who uh, had a short haircut and rode a bicycle, and that's all I needed. Uh, short haircuts and bicycles, that's all I fucking get. Like, honestly, if that kid would have been into it, I probably would have fucked the kid Elliot from E.T. Uh, that would have been fine. So, Lucy, huge crush on this girl. It's the year 2000, I'm a junior, and... I see her around town all the time. We have some mutual friends, but there are two things getting in the way of me hooking up with Lucy. One, she's super hot, and two, I have no game. So it's just not happening for a long time. The other thing that I'm passionate about besides Lucy is comedy. I'm really, I start really getting into comedy at this time, uh, writing, performing, and sketch, and improv, and all that sort of stuff, but I have become obsessed with Steve Martin's stand-up records. And I got his 1977 Grammy Award-winning Let's Get Small comedy album on vinyl. And I have it, and I listen to it all the fucking time. And I can't stop listening to it. And it's like annoying my friends. It's all I talk about. So one night we go out to the bar, and we're downtown. And Lucy's there. I'm there. All of our friends are there. And somehow Lucy and I get in this conversation. And I start talking about Steve Martin. And I start talking about his jokes and how groundbreaking it was and what was going on with comedy at the time. It's like 1.45 in the morning, we're hammered, and she was like, we should go listen to your record at your house right now. And uh, I was like, yeah, let's do that. And so we get on our bikes and ride back to my house. Uh, it's just the two of us, and we walk to the conveniently located record player inside my bedroom. She is sitting on my bed. I put on the Steve Martin record, 
and fucking nothing happens. My record player is busted. And I check the needle, I check the outlet, I have no idea uh, what's going on. Like, she's on my bed. We're both drunk. Like, we're here. Even my bed sheets are like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Uh, but she's there, and it was weird because I, there was some part of me that was like, man, I want to hook up with this girl, but I also want to show her what I'm really passionate about. And she lived like a 20-minute bike ride away from where I lived. And I was like, oh, does the record player work at your house? And she said to me, I feel like you love comedy more than you... I'm just kidding. That'd be fucking weird. Uh, very bizarre if she said that. So rather than just having the balls to hook up with this girl, we get on our bikes. I fucking, like, I'm there. I'm there. I'm, like, this far away from her, and I don't have the guts, and I was like, let's go listen to this record elsewhere. So we take the party 20 minutes away. I don't know if you've ever tried to carry a record while drunk riding a bicycle. It's not, like, the easiest thing in the world. So we get to her house, and we put on the album, and... If you don't know the album, it just starts with, you know, like, ladies and gentlemen, the boarding house is uh, proud to present Steve Martin, and everyone applauds, and that gets in. And there's, like, the first joke of the album. So he starts playing banjo. He doesn't even say anything. Uh, he starts playing banjo, and he's really good. And the first line, the, like, 15 seconds in, he goes, hey, this guy is good. And that's the first laugh. We both laugh. And then I just make a beeline for her mouth. I'm just, like, making out with her. I'm like, okay. That's all I wanted to do. We got one laugh in, and now we can make out. I feel like I honored my part of the agreement. When we were at the bar, you said you wanted to listen to the record. There's a problem with hooking up to a comedy record in that, like, it's not a turn-on. Like, no one, it's entertaining, but no one, like, no one's like, hey, let's get it on. Why don't we put on uh, Gaffigan's Hot Pockets routine? That'll really do it for me. But it's like, I'm walking a fucking tightrope here because I feel like we're making out on her bed and I feel like any move that I make, like I didn't expect this thing to happen ever and any move I make could just derail the whole evening. But it's weird when you're trying to take a girl's bra off and in the background you hear Steve Martin going like, excuse me. <laughs> so we uh, cut back to uh, my girlfriend, right? So we're in the East Village and... Uh, I was thinking about that, like, do I love comedy more than my girlfriend? And that's a tough question. That's a tough thing to uh, answer at first, uh, because in terms of just, like, amount of time spent with one or the other, like, I've been with comedy way longer than with my girlfriend. I just know comedy so much more, which is not the answer that she wanted to hear at all. <laughs> I feel like I have to love my girlfriend more in that moment because she's the one willing to stick around while I explain to her the interesting facts about whether I love comedy more than her. <laughs> so she hung around. That girlfriend is now my wife now. We have a baby. And uh, I feel like the tables have turned because we were arguing the other night. And I was like, wow, I feel like you love watching Bravo more than you love me. <laughs> And I know that she's the perfect match for me because she paused, like, way too long. Um, all right, thanks, everybody. That's my time. 
A lot of people ask me if Steve Martin is my real name. Have I changed it for show business or anything like that? And um, now I'm not ashamed to admit it because uh, I did have a funny name when I was a kid and I decided to change it for show business. But I think enough time has gone by and audiences are more sophisticated now that they won't laugh um, at my real name. Um, my real name is... <laughs> So my parents had a sense of humor. My sister's name was Hill, 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 Hill. And my mother got to call us for dinner and she go, Hill, 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 Hill. So we had to move around a lot. Almost all of this week's episode, folks. This is Leica behind me now. And we just heard from Steve Martin, a little bit from one of his classic albums of the 70s. And of course, before that, Adam Lowett of The Daily Show, who you can find on Instagram at Adam Lowett. Before that, we heard from the South Korean indie band Kokor with a song called Move Your Ass which was preceded by Stephen Harder and his story called Kicking Butt that was edited by our own Jeff Barr. Before that, we heard from the great Laurie Anderson with that little tale about when the world was just birds. And before that, a little interstitial by our own Hope Brush with a little help from the Black Eyed Peas. We'll be right back. We're back. Folks, the latest bonus over at patreon.com slash risk is a fascinating conversation. It's between risk storyteller Larry Talbot. You might remember he told the classic risk story called The Monster and the Man back in 2017. And risk editor Taj Easton, who more recently told the story The Open Window on the Mercy episode last year, two stories about men learning to be more emotionally available. And here's a little bit of what that conversation sounds like. The familial line for bipolar disorder comes through my dad. Hmm. Interestingly, my grandmother, whose memorial I'm here for, once took me aside and told me that, oh, 
God, I can't remember the look on her face. I can't remember the sound of her voice. And she was just so, so sad. Hmm. And she was, she told me, she said, I, I, I am sorry. I think it's from me that you got it. Hmm. She ascribed herself the blame for passing on this fucking gene. Again, you'll find that and many more check-ins. That's interviews with storytellers or staff members just kind of audio journaling with you, plus lots of bonus stories over at our Patreon. We couldn't be doing what we're doing here without the support of you guys, our patrons, so we're immensely grateful to anyone who has the means to help us keep the show going at patreon.com slash risk. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Gave your anus curly whirly? How would you like it if somebody threw feces at you? I mean, I obviously would not like it. And I taught him not to bring his claws out, too. Boo boo, no. Okay. No, no, no. If you're happy and you know it, say meow. If you're happy and you know it, say meow. If you're happy and you know it, and you really want to show it, if you're happy and you know it, say meow. <laughs>